Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. We're going to start today's podcast off with a quick public service announcement that does not have to do with soccer. Uh, Stop posting your bad Damian Lillard trade ideas on Twitter because it's starting to get to the man himself. And now Damian Lillard is tweeting shrugged shoulder emojis about, hey, maybe if they trade me, if that's what the fans want and stuff like that. And you're just you're you're just giving fodder for people like Stephen A. Smith to just make outlandish statements on television. That's your PSA to start this podcast that's supposed to be about soccer. Please stop with the bad trades. I feel like this is uh, in Blazers fan Twitter. Uh, This is just like. I don't know. It's not an annual tradition, but it's like a like every three year tradition where people will be like, you know, from somewhere there will be some discussion of Dame being traded. Dame will make a few cryptic, like kind of unclear tweets about it. Everybody will freak out about that and it'll just be its own like sort of self-perpetuating discussion. Uh, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, but it, 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 it it's all fairly silly. Uh, until until something does, but, but very interesting point for the Blazers franchise. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, lost some real decisions to be, to be made over there on uh, that can be, all be discussed on the Basketball Made in Portland podcast. Yes, yeah, that's that's what the Oregonians one is. No, no, it's it's <laughs> uh, it's over there with with Aaron and Craig Burnback. They they will discuss plenty of Blazers coming up. As will Bill Orem, the man who was in the room uh, for for the lottery, but had his. Uh, technology taken away which like uh, must so. have just absolutely crushed bill right i know because no, the like, guys, like the, yeah. the the number of ping pong ball puns that he had been working on like i imagine over the course of months since it was clear the blazers would be in the lottery and that he would be the guy in the room like he's probably got like a legal pad full of ping pong ball puns and he could use none of them not a single one yeah, not not one was able yeah. to be used. At, at least you know it, the ones he hadn't memorized. But that's right. That's right. Um, you know, you know, shifting gears here to to the soccer, there is plenty to talk about on that side. Uh, beginning obviously with the Portland Timbers, uh, a really strong week. I, I think they heard the motivational speech from Chris Reifer and decided to get on their horse and yeah, right, and <laughs> figure it out. That's yeah. the kind of week they they need to have, and they need to finish it off. They, you know, I mean, they sort of have a rubber match now. Uh, with this week coming up against Minnesota, but uh, but the performance against Vancouver is the kind of performance we need to see consistently. Yeah, three to one, they they won that game, and it was I I believe really their most comprehensive performance of the season. A, a strong victory against a team they should have have gotten those three points against. Uh, really productive and and creative on the attack. Uh, plays from from individuals like Juan Mosquera and and Santiago Moreno and. Of course, Evander, who won Player of the Week with his brace, nearly a hat don't trick. It. Don't say it for Evander. Don't say it. The the don't, redeemer. Don't, don't say it. <laughs> oh. The nickname, which is the bane of Chris Reifer's the, existence, the premature nickname. That's what you are. <laughs> yes, I, I I will take responsibility for maybe being a little premature on on pushing this a bit, asking him about it, and and. Now it's to the point where it was it was briefly discussed on last night's uh, broadcast. But as Chris Reifer pointed out, it was on Apple TV. So, yeah, like like the additional audience for that was like four people (laughs) because everybody (laughs) else watching it already had already seen that you were on this warpath, this misguided uh, and premature warpath. 
Um, and and so yeah, th- yeah, that expanded your audience by you know a a probably single handful of individuals. Exactly, and and you know all that aside, really like for Evander, it, it's been a breakthrough. Like he he has in the last three matches for the Timbers prior to to the last night's zero uh, zero draw with Real Salt Lake, he had five goal contributions. He was it's good, you know, consistent. In, and excellent in terms of his playmaking ability last night, despite the zero zero draw, I think that he was in all the right places. It was just a matter of all the right um, places. Couldn't quite find the right, the right ball. Uh, yeah. In, in, or even the right person yeah. sometimes, you know, it, it just, it, it was the, the bounce of the ball and the fact that a lot of the legs were very tired last night that led to that performance. But, you know, getting back obviously to, um, to the previous match against Vancouver, um, that's as, as good as this team has, has looked this year. And with the exception of what was a strong attempt by Zach McGraw to make a flying clearance that led to the own goal. I mean, they could have had a three nil shutout and, and been far and away in every aspect, the best team on the field. Yeah. So. Vancouver had a couple other chances, but uh, you know, I thought it was a relatively drama free three one. Uh, and I think the scoreline reflected the game as a whole. I think Vanny Sartini basically said that after the game, too. Uh, I think he opened his comments by saying something like, uh, we deserve to lose today, <laughs> which is correct. Uh, the Timbers were just the better team uh, against Vancouver, and that is the kind of performance that needs to become repeatable for them. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, that's not to, to, to say that they were poor uh, in Salt Lake midweek, uh, but... You know, I mean, that they, just given where they are on the table, given their points per game still hovering around 1.2 uh, and where they need to be at the end of the season, we're, you know, starting to approach the midway point. We're going to be at the midway point here in a few weeks. Uh, they need to start racking up points, which means they need to have a lot more performances like they did against Vancouver than like they did against Austin the week before. Uh, and and that is that is the task before them now, uh, and that's what they've got to show on two days rest now uh, on Saturday against Minnesota. That they even with tired legs at home can have a performance that can get them three points and preferably a dr- another drama free three points uh, against a team that's right around them in the table. So you know that that that's that's the task. Uh, that's where they're at, and that's going to be what's going to de- determine whether they can be sufficiently afloat by the time the summer transfer window comes to, to reinforce the team and, uh, and have a payoff at the end of the year. Yeah. And, and, you know, not to um, put aside the fact that Frank Boley scored his uh, first goal since his debut in that three, one win, uh, good for him. Fastest goal of, of the season in MLS so far, like a minute and 20 seconds or something in that range. Um, and, and, you know, good for him to get in the score sheet, honestly, because, you know, the striker position of, as we have talked about ad nauseum on this podcast has been, has been pretty grim all season. Um, one, one potential light of positivity in that realm was, was that goal, but also, uh, off the field, uh, Yaroslav Nishkoda's, uh, wife has been pregnant for a while. He missed the game due to personal reasons yesterday on Wednesday against, uh, Real Salt Lake. We don't know officially that it's, uh, another baby's made in Portland segment, uh, here for, for the Timbers, but, uh, we, we could be on the precipice of, of yet another little one. So if that's the case, congratulations to Yaroslav Nishkoda and family on, uh, on the new addition, but, um, on the field. You know, Bowley has established himself as as the guy at that position going forward. Um, 
but has yet to to quite break through as a consistent threat um, to score. I, I think that uh, there have been visible signs of his connection with Evander continually improving, and, and those two being a really strong combination. Evander obviously has has carried the load for this team for the last few weeks and um, started to to live up to to the the hype uh, for him. So that. Those two players, I, th- I think, are a lot of what makes this team go lately. It's, I'm sure, frustrating not only for fans but for for Santi Moreno himself to see the way that Moreno has struggled a bit lately um, and and throughout this season. He has, I believe, five assists this year, but hasn't scored a goal. And um, he's a guy that people thought were poised to have a breakout was poised to have a breakout season. Um, but but the Timbers are healthy. Like they like with the exception of Eric Ish. Williamson being, yeah. I mean, with the exception of Eric, <laughs> with Williamson the exception being, of their best striker and and their be- their you know the uh, one of their best attacking midfielders, yeah, they're healthy. <laughs> right, like by their standards, they are healthy. <laughs> so, like that that's a good sign. They've been you know two consecutive matches with their full strength eleven, which has yet to happen before now this year. Um, at least their full strength of what's left eleven and. You know, I'm wondering your thoughts actually on on that decision, the the choice to to go with full strength again at the midweek uh, with with the now necessity probably to rotate a bit on Saturday against a, a better Minnesota team. I mean, is is that was the gamble worth it for for a nil nil draw? I mean, I, I I'm not 100 percent sure on that front. We'll see how much rotation they do coming up on Saturday. It wouldn't shock me if we only see a couple of guys rotated out. Uh I think that is the corner the Timbers have painted themselves into. I mean, I I think that's just the reality. Like, they they can't afford to rotate in games like that. They can't afford to, you know, punt or semi-punt midweek games uh, because they've put themselves behind the eight ball and they need points. And this is the softest stretch of the schedule, probably until the very end of the season when, you know, unless things improve, it will be too late. Uh, And... They need points in this stretch because points are just going to be harder to come by as the schedule gets more complicated uh, come June. And then we have the weird League's Cup break, which is weird. And I still don't know what to do with. And then August, uh, it's going to be more difficult to to go on a run and to, and to rack up some points then. Uh, not to say they can't do it, but it's just going to be harder. And so this is a, this is a strike while the iron's hot moment for the Timbers. And I, I think they are just in a position where they had to go for it. Uh, I think... They obviously would have preferred three points out of this game. They clearly were going for sort of shooting the moon this week and trying to rack up nine points. All three are winnable games. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, a, a road draw is is basically always some variant of good. Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's a relief. Uh, sometimes it feels like a triumph. But you're never coming off a road draw and saying we didn't do what we needed to do. Uh, so I, I, I think it's kind of just reflective of where they are. I thought maybe Noel Kalaskan was going to start for Christian Paredes, but it's a good thing he didn't because Paredes was the Timbers best, was the Timbers best player against Salt Lake. Uh, he won something like 12 duels. It was like he, in like one, some, something like 70% of the duels he was in. That was best of any player on the field. Uh, and I mean, if you're looking for a reason, the Timbers kept a clean sheet. There you have it. 
I mean, Christian Paredes is not a guy who has been known as a defensive oriented central midfielder and he is developing into that. And I think we saw that against Salt Lake. He was phenomenal on the defensive uh, side of things uh, and was a big part of the reason that they got even a point uh, out of that game. Now (laughs) that is his third start in seven, eight days. Uh, Will he have a fourth start in 11 days in him? I'm, I'm concerned about that, especially given his, his history of hamstring injuries. He had a big one last year and a big one this year. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, that certainly causes me some concern. Uh, but if that is a concern for him, uh, or if the, he was feeling heavy legs, he certainly didn't show it. Some other guys showed it. Jimmy Chara was out of gas by the time he came out of the game. That sub probably should have come 10 minutes earlier. Uh, in bringing Espria in, in for Jimmy. That's not a surprise. I mean, that's a short turnaround for a guy who isn't fully fit yet because he missed a big chunk of the early season. Oh, but, you know, I, I, I think I, I, to answer your question and to go back to that original point, uh, I don't think Gio Savarese had a huge choice. I mean, maybe there were a couple moves that he could have made here and there, but he needed to put a competitive team on the field in this game. He needs to put a competitive team on the field in every single MLS game for the rest of the year. And the reason that is, is because a lot of the, the, the points that they, that would have given them some wiggle room to be able to rotate uh, a little bit, um, they frittered away in March and April. And that's another good reason not to punt on March and April. Right. Yeah. We keep and coming back was... to that, but that's, I mean, that's it. That's, that's a good reason yeah. not to do that, but they do it every year. So here we are. I, I I would slightly push back and say there obviously was some, some punting involved in that, that first stretch, but yeah, but we do, you know, it sounds like an excuse from their side, but we do have to acknowledge the level of injuries that every year, had. every year we have to acknowledge the level of injuries. I mean, yeah, it, but, <laughs> but it's more than normal. Like it, it was definitely more than normal. They were starting guys that haven't seen the field in weeks since the regular guys got back. So it's, I mean, we've seen a, a lot of those kinds of games in, in the past several years too. I, you know, I mean, it, it, it truly is an annual refrain now and it happens a lot early in the season. And when that's the case, at some point you, you can't claim to be victim of it. Right. And investment and depth can, can alleviate those issues when those type of issues come up. Right. So it's, it's definitely a lot on them, but I think they do have some grace in regards to, to how the injuries impacted the first part of the season. Either way that, that portion is gone. That portion is in the past and what they can control is now what is in front of them with a a team that is a, a true, you know, top to bottom first team with, starting level players at every position, right? So it's, this stretch is crucial. This stretch, you know, I, I think that they had a real shot at, at three points last night, but I don't think anybody's terribly upset coming out with one from, from a match that was genuinely ugly. It was like, as you, as you pointed out, like really terrible second half class, classic midweek MLS BS. That's just yeah. so exhausting to watch. It was already late. I, I didn't, yeah, it was like an eight o'clock something kickoff Pacific time. I was already up way later than I, I normally am for a road game. I was just like, it was a slog watching that. And I can't imagine what it was like for um, the players who had to play in it and the coaches who were on the sideline. You know, you could even tell in the post game zooms, they were just like, oh God, get me out of here. Like 
fly me home. Like it, it was, it was exhausting. So I, I don't begrudge them at all for not being able to, to achieve three points out of that. I think it would have been huge to go through all that crap and, and still end up with like a, a, a three points on the road and come home to get three more. But um, Minnesota is a team that you've, you've got to beat at your place. Like you've got to put together, even with a, a slightly more mixed lineup, just as strong of a performance as you did against Vancouver, um, get a convincing win and and show people that, Hey, this, this turnaround is real. We did not turn a corner into a brick wall. As, as Chris Reifer said, we, we turned a corner into a brick wall and then we like Superman punched <laughs> through that wall. Or at least then we reversed and turned another corner into not a brick wall. <laughs> yeah. And in, into maybe like a foam wall. Um, but, but yeah, this, this, as you said, is a, is an important stretch for them. And, and I think that, you know, the signs of a turnaround are there. The question is, can they, can they secure these results to make up for some of the early season mistakes, the early season struggles, uh, and the early season injuries that, that led to, to where they're at right now. They're in sixth in the Western conference, uh, three points out of being out of the picture, but three points out of, um, being tied for fourth with, I believe Dallas. And so it's, it's a tight table. It's, it's competitive in the West. It's pretty wide open with the exception at the top of, of LAFC and and Seattle being the kind of two upper tier teams. Now Seattle has made a pretty ugly habit of losing games to teams that are on losing streaks lately, including sporting Kansas city. And, um, I believe it was Austin that, uh, that had not won in a long time and and they ended up winning last night in Seattle. So um, Timbers fans are happy to hear that, <laughs> but yeah, either way, I, yeah, you know, they, I mean, they, they, they're I, in a I table that's very competitive the, and, and the table is competitive either way. But I, I think at this point of the season, you sort of need to look at the pace rather than the place in the table, right? Because just because of where they are in the season games in hand and games played uh, ends up affecting things. You're, you're right that they're, they're actually five points behind Dallas because Dallas won last night. Uh, but Dallas also has a game in hand. So Dallas is on a point and three quarters per game. The Timbers are under a point and a quarter. That's a huge difference. Uh, and, uh, and you know, where the Timbers are now, 1.23 points per game, uh, as we like to say, that ain't shoot. That's not going to get the job done. And frankly, that's not even really that close to getting the job done. Uh, if you're close to that point in in September or October, you're dead in the water. Uh, and, you know, whether that's dead in the water in terms of you miss the playoffs altogether or dead in the water in terms of you finish eighth or ninth and you squeak into a play-in game only to, be, to become, you know, at best – uh, the lamb sacrificed at the altar of LAFC. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you're dead in the water either way. Uh, and yeah. And don't they have a chance to get up to like 1.4 with a, with a win on Saturday? If am I getting that right? Thereabouts, or? it might be a little bit under, under that now with the, the, the draw, uh, against RSL last night. Uh, but you know, I mean, that highlights the point that they need to start racking up these points now, uh, in significant part, because it's going to get, a lot harder as as they move along because instead of playing the RSLs, who's just not very good, uh, and the Vancouver's, who has put together some results, but that's starting to fade away. They lost again at Dallas last night. Uh, and the Minnesotas of the world, who are still struggling and still without and will still be without their best player, 
and Bebelo Reynoso, even though he has now returned to Minnesota, he, he, he will not feature against the Timbers uh, as he gets back into, into the team and and then back into shape. Uh, You know, I mean, the, you're not going to get opportunities to, to consistently get points against a, a stretch as soft as this is. And, and so, you know, I mean, when you do look at those dropped points against Austin in particular is the one that I think will stick in their craw. Uh, because it's the game they should have won. They just can't afford to do that because there are going to be some draws and some losses down the road uh, against the LAFCs and the Seattles and the, and, and, and the Dallas's of the world. Yeah. Those type of results have already happened. You can no longer afford to, to really slip in those type of matches, right? Like you got to get three against Minnesota. Now this weekend, you got to go on the road the following weekend and get three at sporting Kansas city. I don't care what happens that one even more so than the Minnesota and, and game. SKC has been playing better recently. Uh, yeah, which is a little scary for that being a trap game, yeah. right? Like, you know, I mean, so, I mean, the yeah. the home draw against LA Galaxy now. I mean, those are just the kind of results that you can't have. Looking back at that one, that's a, an LA Galaxy team that's at zero point seven five points per game right now. Uh, you gave them, and you gave them point, a point at your place. Uh, I mean, that they've just dropped the, those. That margin is gone because they've already dropped the points that they should have had from games at home against poor teams. Uh, and and so, you know, if they drop too many more of them, it's, it, you know, that's the concern. So, I mean, that, that's what I mean when I say that this is the, 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 the stretch in which they've got to rack up some points. Uh, and if they can get that, that game against Minnesota, uh, if they can get the win against Minnesota, I think you look back at this sort of four MLS game stretch uh, and say, all right, we took eight points from those four games. The Austin one still bothers us a little bit, but that's not bad. That's workable. And then, and yeah, then you and go a, to SKC. 11, yeah. 11. If you count the, the St. Louis game. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, if, if you drop points against Minnesota and then drop points at Kansas city, and that's how you close out may, you're probably looking at that saying we just frittered away the, softest part of our schedule that we're going to have all year now it gets harder and we're still just struggling to keep our noses above water yeah and that's not a position this team wants to be in it it this group really does feel like it's it's one of the more talented lineups and and teams in mls they've players and coaches have continually said that now whether that is the case will be defined by what those talented players end up doing on the field and you know how how they're able to build out of this relatively positive stretch compared to how the start of the season was for them, how they're able to continue to build points. Um, shifting gears from, from points to, to dollars here, uh, we'll have a brief discussion on um, the salary breakdown for, for the Timbers, for all you sickos out there um, that enjoy a, a good examination of the, of the roster's salary numbers. Um, top five, salaries for the timbers make sense for the most part right given what we knew from last year and given what the cost was to get one of the big guys and you know evander's at the top 1.8 million um jimmy char 1.5 million seba blanco whose status is still very much in question uh 1.38 million um the opportunity there these are we'll base probably, salary we'll discuss numbers this yeah these are base salary numbers um the opportunity there potentially to you know use the season ending injury designation on him if he with his chronic knee issues cannot 
you know, continue through the remainder of the season. Uh, we'll talk a little more about that, but you know, Nia's Gota, obviously the, the big bugaboo in, in that top five at, at 850,000 for Nia's Gota, which puts him in the high Tam range. Um, Dario Zuperich, big pay raise for Dario. He structured his contract fat on the end. Uh, he went from 375 last year to $735,000 base salary this year. So good for, for the big uh, Croatian to get himself some, some dollars, uh, especially now that he just got married, you know, you know, marriage, weddings, life, it's an expensive thing. And, and you can bet Dario can afford it now. Um, so, so that's the top five, you know, the total base salaries is about 12 million, which is, spread across 27 players. The total compensation is 14 and a half million or so, which in MLS ranks around the middle of the pack at about 16th. Yeah. Almost um, exactly mid pack. Yeah. Pretty much exactly mid packs, so, which is higher than uh, they were last year. You remember yeah, it, this conversation yeah. last year was about how they were near the bottom. So yeah. Evander it, obviously Evan- changed. Yes. Changed that a little bit. Yeah. Evander is definitely a factor there, but you know, they, they have increased spending elsewhere. Frank Bowley is like 450k um, allocated to him, and and they've given extensions and and raises to a few guys, including Zach McGraw, who very clearly deserves it uh, at this point as as one of the team's MVPs. Looking at those numbers, um, both the individuals and the team numbers, and thinking ahead to the summer, um, Chris, what what I guess stands out to you? at this point, as we look at, at those budget numbers released by the MLSPA. Well, a couple caveats, one in, in that in particularly the base salary number does not, is not necessarily the player's salary cap hit. <clears throat> we know that Sebastian Blanco, even though he was, what did you say about 1.2 in base salary or something like that uh, is near the max TAM threshold, which is 1.651 million ish this year. Uh, and, and that's because there's some additional stuff that goes into guaranteed comp that counts against the cap. Uh, and so we know he is sort of the, because of the way the Timbers have done their DP designations early this year, we know that Seba is, is sort of the highest in the, the closest, uh, I guess I should say to the max TAM threshold, uh, transfer fees, uh, and, and for TAM or DP level players, amortized transfer fees transfer fees spread over multiple years uh can also affect the cap we know that Yaroslav Nizhgoda from previous years uh is near that max tam threshold as well even though his his base salary is only 800,000 there's some additional guaranteed compensation that goes to him that's baked into that but there's also part of his transfer fee uh that's still allocated to his cap head so we know that in terms of cap dollars uh, he's, he's up near that 1.65 million threshold. And I think that, I mean, I, I, I think that to me is, is the biggest takeaway. Uh, you know, when you look at, at Felipe Mora, uh, he was only at about 350,000. That is obviously is a very significant change from last year when he was up in that, in the TAM range. And that's a, a result of, as Ned Gravoboy talked, uh, about when we talked to him, uh, or, or, you know, sort of late in the winter, uh, a result of them uh, restructuring his contract and, and extending him. Uh, but his annual, you know, sort of cap hit is significantly lower now, whether it's 350 or 450, we don't know. Uh, but it's, you know, in that ballpark rather than, uh, you know, in, you know, comfortably inside the TAM range. 
uh, as it was last year. And that's all the calculus that the Timbers are, are having to balance as they figure out over the course of the next six weeks or so, and it is six weeks or so now, uh, who is going to get the season-ending injury designation? Somebody is. Could be Eric Williamson. Could be Sebastian Blanco. <laughs> uh, could maybe be Felipe Mora. Uh, that seems a little less likely. Um, but uh, who's going to get that? And if the Timbers want to be ambitious in the summer transfer window, I think they should. That decision is certainly above my pay grade, especially given that my, my pay grade is zero. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if they want to be ambitious, they should also use the amnesty provision. In years past, and this is a change this year, in years past, that could only be exercised during the offseason. The Timbers didn't do it. But we found out later uh, that, that that's at least in part because they can do it at any time in the year now. And so, uh, you know, will that be Yaroslav Nishgoda? that if they're going to sign a young DP striker, which is the thing that makes the most sense to me, that would make a lot of sense, right? Because you'd be bringing in a, a guy who would eat up Nishgoda's minutes. Uh, yeah, it would be hard to justify playing a lame duck and ineffective Yaroslav Nishgoda over a young DP who you're trying to get minutes to become a major figure in the club and who, whom presumably you just spent a good amount of money on. And so you wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, so it would make sense to to, to amnesty Nishigoda. Maybe it makes sense to do Mora if you're not confident that he's ever going to be able to get back on the field, even notwithstanding uh, his his uh, cap it. One thing is because Mora has a multi-year contract now, they could theoretically use their 2024 amnesty provision uh, on Mora and just sort of eat the cap hit for this year because it seems like that's not all that significant. Uh or they could with Sebastian Blanco, which uh, would would clear him off uh, the the cap for the the remainder of uh, of this season. But they're going to have to make those decisions, and I think the the salary numbers that we've seen just put that those decisions in pretty stark contrast. And what we see the Timbers do with those designations is going to be really reflective of how ambitious they are going to be in the summer window, uh, and so. Watch carefully uh, what the Timbers do. Uh, they can say that they're going to be ambitious until the cows come home, but actions speak much louder than words. They certainly were not ambitious in the the winter transfer window. Uh, maybe they didn't have the ability to, or maybe they just decided not to be, but they weren't. Uh, and and they say they're going to be more aggressive in the summer window, but, but let's see it. And now we've got sort of a, a good amount of the field laid out in front of us that we can see. Uh, and we'll be able to see whether the, the Timbers are, are true to the word that they're going to be aggressive. Yeah. And with regard to, to the Blanco thing, like there, there is the potential for serious drama there, right? There's a lot of emotions yeah, it's in, really in, in the idea that, that, you know, Sebastian Blanco, one of the greatest players in Timbers history um, could, could be this expendable of an asset in this situation is, is both a reality of soccer, of sports, of, of the salary cap, scenario in MLS. Um, but it, it is unique in that, you know, you have a highly competitive guy who um, no matter what the outlook is, he's going to, you know, work extremely hard to try and get back on the field. And he's going to be convinced that he is not only ready to, to contribute, but is going to be able to contribute into the future. Um, 
if he obviously comes face to face with that scenario where, where Ned Grabavoy or the front office come to him and say, look, like the best thing for the club right now is for us to move on. That could get dicey, not only because, you know, fans would potentially react to it the way they would. That's not really a calculus for the front office, but the way that Blanco reacts and the potential fallout from, from that and trying to, to balance respecting a club legend and, you know, giving him an opportunity to, to go out on his terms versus doing what's best for the team um, is a really difficult scenario to be in for any sports team. And I, I do not envy Ned Grabovoy for, for potentially having to make that choice. Yeah. We're at the point with Blanco's injury comeback where uh, we are very, very actively asking the question whether that is a light at the end of the tunnel or whether it's a train and it's going to be one of those two things. And we're going to find out in the next four or six weeks. Yeah. He, uh, he had received a, an injection in his knee to address some nerve pain earlier this week. He missed the RSL game entirely, did not travel. Uh, and they're looking to hopefully get him back for Minnesota, but I, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be uh, urgent in doing that, especially given how a lot of other players have played lately. And, the idea that they they are keeping this in in their back pocket in all likelihood, right? Like there is no requirement of the amount of games played that that Blanco would reach where he would no longer be eligible for the season ending injury designation. He just has to have a season ending injury. He I just mean, has to yeah. have a season ending injury that is you know ethically and responsibly you know evaluated by by the Timbers physicians and and outside physicians if they so choose and and it has to be legit if it's not legit if they're you know it's pushing gonna get ugly it one way or the other then it would get ugly and they, and they shouldn't do that player's not legit i mean situation. to be very yeah, clear of not. Yeah. they shouldn't do that if it's not legit if yeah. if it's not legit then they should give Se- eric williamson the season ending injury designation because that is legit uh, and if they want to move on from Blanco, then they should use the amnesty provision to do that. Like there are ways to do it and there are ways to do it right. And frankly, it would be really disrespectful to Sebastian Blanco to designate him as a season in the injury. And it would be scandalous to do so in light of everything he's done for the club if he doesn't actually have one. But on the other hand, if the guy's not going to be able to get back on the field this year, then I mean, at some point, that's just a reality that has to be acknowledged. Yeah, exactly. And, and, there's a lot of layers to that and, and a lot of complication and there's a lot we don't know right now, but we, as you said, in the coming weeks, we, we will know more on, on the Blanco front on uh, their plans for the, the summer window. Once that reopens uh, and the center back that they were in pursuit of that was close, but no cigar, but is still in, you know, in the cards for them. DP number nine, young DP number nine is obviously the secondary priority and, and, possibly another player according to that grab a voice so let's, yeah let's do they see. need to add somebody to the central midfield is the obvious question uh in light of yes. williamson and ajala's injuries uh i it you know is is noel Kaliskin enough uh depth probably jimmy chara also comes in but then you just create another hole <laughs> you, you 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 fill a hole by creating a hole uh you know i i i think that's that's another place i don't think that's a dp level player necessarily or a tan level player that they need in that spot but it, i think they probably need another guy in that spot definitely uh switching gears to the thorns uh it's it's been a bit of an uncertain stretch for a team that we 
repeatedly on this podcast have have lauded as as this nearly unstoppable force which you know at times over the last couple of years they have been thoroughly dominant they have shown themselves to and at times be, this year they've be, been yeah, dominant. yeah yeah they've been the most talented team in nwsl for two years they were dominant at the start of this season but now um with becky sauerbrunn injured but not because of becky sauerbrunn being injured they are uh winless in their last three matches they had two three three draws which pretty ugly for a team that prides itself in in defense uh and then their first loss of the season on the road at houston where rocky rodriguez who i think was a great substitute in the midfield for christine sinclair something we both suggested last week it's a really concerning injury yeah she came in and she scored the goal and she was great and then in like the 60th or 50th minute she goes down with a knee injury, her knee buckles. And, and we find out this week from uh, Mike Norris that it's a sprained MCL. So she's, she's out six to eight weeks, which means that regardless uh, Thorns fans are not going to see Rocky Rodriguez back on the field, likely until whenever Costa Rica is eliminated from the FIFA world cup, which could, could be early uh, is probably expected probably to be early, be early given their group. Uh, so but but for her sake, obviously, you, you hope she's back and healthy and ready to contribute fully for Costa Rica because she is one of their best players. And, and it's such an important time in any player's life when they get the opportunity on that biggest stage. So, yeah, you know, for one, thank goodness, Rocky, it, for sure. thank goodness it wasn't worse. Uh, if you have a sprained MCL, uh, that is a, a little bit of a bullet dodged uh, because it could have been worse. Uh, and so... Thank goodness it wasn't. Thank goodness that the World Cup is still in play for her uh, and a very, very speedy recovery for Rocky uh, as she gets back uh, from this so that she can be fit and ready to go for the World Cup and for the Thorns after the World Cup. Uh, that's, I, I think, though, a pretty big injury. They really don't have a like-for-like replacement uh, for Rocky Rodriguez. Uh, and we've seen some of the frailties that come from the other players in that position uh, who the Thorns have played in that spot. Uh, in terms of the Thorns as, as, as a whole, really disappointing performance uh, this, the, this, last, this last weekend, uh, I think is, is fair to say. At Houston, look, I, you know, th- it was hot, and it was clear as the game went along that fatigue was becoming very much an issue for the Thorns. Uh, you had players who were dominant who became much, much less so as the second half dragged on. Uh, and so that was a factor. To be clear, it was a factor. Uh, I think the performance as a whole, though, is really concerning. And and I guess I should say the performance as a whole is is concerning. I shouldn't say really concerning because, as you pointed out, that was their first loss of the season in, what, their seventh or eighth game? That's pretty good. That's like, you know, champagne problems. Uh, I know a few teams, including a few teams that play in the same city, that would love to be seven <laughs> games into the season uh, losing their first game. So, yeah, it, but nonetheless, I, I think it, it is very fair to point out both the warning signs that we've seen recently, the struggles that they've seen recently, and, and, and then that poor result, and to be concerned about that. I, the, one of the things that really concerns me about this game and the way they approached it is, especially in, in conditions like this where it's going to be a tough game and in, in, in a hot humid climate that's going to just take a physical toll 
The Thorns did not do a good job of playing the game state. They got their noses in front. They played pretty well, I thought, in that first half. Were by far the better team. Got the lead. And then in the second half, they were just, frankly, criminally open still. The, the, it, it was wide open spaces for the Dash to, to, to run into. And they weren't, frankly, playing like... They were playing like a team that went up 1-0 and were like, we are just going to run this other team off the field. We're going 2-0, 3-0, We're going to crush them. That's just not how, especially road games, in difficult conditions, in a deep league where there is legitimate talent, even though the Dash aren't among the best in the league, there's legitimate talent on the other side. That's not how games go. And whereas I think one of the Thorns' strengths, even earlier this year, it's not that long ago that they showed this, but it certainly was the case last year, was their ability that when they got their noses in front in games, they would just seize control. Remember the game at Kansas City where they just utterly dominated the first half, and given it was a current team that was reeling at the time, but they just ran them off the field. The current were blessed to be down 2-0 at halftime. And then after halftime, Kansas City really built into the game. They got the goal. They pulled it back to 2-1. But then the Thorns just squeezed the air out of it and shut things down, closed down the spaces that Kansas City was was, uh, exploiting. And then when Kansas City started overexposing themselves because – they were having a harder time attacking into the thorns, attacking into the thorns, and they had to push numbers to do so. That's when the thorns killed them on the attack, and Sophia Smith just dunked all over them. Where was that this last week? Where where has that been? Uh, where was that against Angel City? And so, I I hear the the discussion about the team. Uh, I hear the 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 things that are being said. And I kind of wonder if maybe we also just need to consider the fact that there's a tactical issue here, that that the tactical approach to these games and trying to run everybody off the field just isn't working. And that just needs a tweak. I frankly am concerned when I hear talk like I think we heard about from Mike Norris. He didn't use these words, but I think it's a fair characterization to say about a crisis of confidence. Uh and as I hear other people sort of talking more about the vibe within the team, it it shouldn't be that bad. This is their first loss of the season. Yeah, Megan Klingenberg is is someone that um, this week I, I had a chance to speak with her. Terrific conversation about leadership that um, you know that'll be within a, a feature on her that's that's going to come out soon on Oregon Live. But uh, one thing really stood out to me among what she said when it comes to this specific stretch for the thorns. Um, she said, we've come to a point where we're like, okay, it's clear. We're not having fun. It's clear. We're trying really hard. And the great paradox of both soccer and life is that when you start trying harder and harder, the harder it becomes to achieve what you want to achieve. And she said that she has had to essentially be one of the people to remind this group to have fun, to, to play with joy, which was the motto of last season and is the reason why, despite the hurricane of off field distractions for this team, they were able to win a championship and per- persist and like be a, an emblem of overcoming adversity. And now they're hit with like a short stretch of 
on-field adversity and suddenly it things are fraying at the seams in terms of of their confidence in terms of of the way they played and and that is definitely concerning why are these quotes so existential (laughs) yeah these are pretty existential things that both she and mike norris have said like they they have very clearly some stuff to to work out and figure out in order to to get these results it's not just going to come because they're the most talented team in the the nwsl yeah and i mean in some ways look we we have a familiar pattern where where fans react and overreact and then you typically get from from the coach and from the players you know a much more measured response in some ways this is kind of the opposite which and and to be very clear i don't know anything about what's going on internally this is just me reading the things that we see publicly and so i i i i don't mean to say that there is something more going on here but it causes me some concern that that there's something more going on here because if everything was normal and hunky dory and they just had this stretch of results i think what you'd be hearing is yeah we got to we got to tighten a few things up we got to, you know, sort out some things tactically, but uh, but we, we've got a lot of belief in this group. We've shown it in the past, and we think we're going to be back there very soon. I mean, why isn't that the quote? I I don't know. It's weird, yeah, I, I, and, yeah. it, and it causes the me some concern. The vibes are weird. Yeah, yeah the vibes really are weird. very weird. They they were real good and, and real fun at the start of the season, and now things things do feel shaky in that way. So and, it's, and it's, it's not something even to like, keep an eye on. It's not even like any of the – like, they didn't take a 6-1 loss to anybody. Right, like they're not getting pumped. They got a a solid road draw at North Carolina. They got a little bit disappointing, but not devastating. Uh, home draw against uh, against Angel City, and then they lost a two one game at Houston in a game that they should have gotten more out of. But like, it's also just kind of a hard place to play because it's in Houston, and so like there's there there are very easy ready explanations for what's going on here, but people don't seem to be reaching for those. They seem to be going in a different direction. And I'm a little bit confused and concerned as to why. Thorne's uh, obviously slipping a bit in the table, not any uh, distance between themselves and, and the competition because the, some of the competition is above them. Now the, the spirit are the lone remaining undefeated team. Um, they, they last I checked for at the top of the table, the thorns were slipping below them, below L rain tied with San Diego. Um, they got to be careful here. NWSL has a lot of parody and you do not want to put yourself in a position where, you know, you're the best team talent wise. You know that you're the defending champions. You have a, a great internal culture with your players in terms of how they, they interact with each other in terms of how they build each other up and, and, you know, play for each other. Um, all that doesn't matter in the end if if you're if you're not delivering those those results, right? Like they they definitely have a, a lot to to answer for on the field in the coming weeks, and and we'll see how that progresses for them. Some breaking news here on the podcast uh, related terrible to medium for breaking news, but go ahead. Yeah, an absolutely awful one. You you will have seen this on the internet <laughs> before you listen to this podcast. Uh, the Timbers are going to induct club legend Diego Valeri into the Ring of Honor on July 15th. Uh, Valeri will come back to Providence Park uh, for, for that match against the Columbus Crew July 15th, and the Timbers are, are going to add him to the Ring of Honor, which is 
an awesome moment for a guy that more than deserves it. Uh, a, a club legend in every sense on and off the field. Um, Chris, what's your reaction to that? Pretty easy induction. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> About very, as easy as it gets. Very easy yeah. selection. <laughs> um, oh, they, I mean, obviously that is, that is hardly deserved uh, for, for Valeri, um, who is a forever club legend. And, uh, I look forward and hope that we also have the plans of a statue unveiling, uh, at the same time, because he, he is, uh, I mean, he's exactly, he is everything that you want the Portland Timbers to be in every single way, takes every single box. Uh, and, uh, that's the kind of person you want to put out in front of your stadium. No doubt. And July 15th is the date for, for that. Um, so, so that'll be a, a fun day to, to celebrate Valeri and everything he, he gave to this club, including its, its lone MLS cup, uh, in 2015. Going uh, against the very team. And I'm sure this is not an accident against the very team that they will be playing when they induct him into the ring of honor. Uh, returning though, uh, our, our brief interlude for, for breaking, but not when you hear this breaking news, uh, back to the thorns, uh, coming up this week, they, they, have the Chicago Red Stars coming to Providence Park, which is a pretty good cure for whatever ails you. Uh, the Red Stars have been dire. They're, like they're, the Red Stars are the team that should be talking about a crisis of confidence uh, because they have been dire. Uh, and so this is uh, an opportunity for, I think, the Thorns to get kind of back in a little bit better vibe. That's the only way to describe it. Uh, a little bit better vibe as they go to a much more complicated road game at San Diego uh, the following Friday. So Sunday, uh, I think, is, is you know, what otherwise would be a, a a fairly routine game, I think is actually pretty big for the Thorns uh, because they're going to need to bring everything vibes included if they want to go down to the wave uh, to get a result, which, you know, given where they are in the table and, and, and the complications of the World Cup uh, and all of that, they probably need need these points now. Uh, and so, uh, so I, I, I think the, these next couple of weeks are going to be huge, uh, and an important opportunity for the thorns to get back in the right way, uh, against the red stars. Absolutely. Big, big moment in the season for both teams, the Timbers and the thorns for very different reasons, uh, very different teams, no doubt, but, uh, it's an exciting stretch and, and one to, um, keep up with closely if you're a fan of PTFC. Uh, so, so. More games this weekend, Saturday, Timbers play Minnesota, Sunday, Thorns are at home against Chicago. That's a get back game if I've ever seen one. Get that one, Thorns go go back out on, on the road for a game at San Diego, which is crucial for the table. Um, streaming info and times for all of those games, obviously available on, on the websites of, of those two individual teams. But uh, any any closing thoughts chris unrelated to soccer any any uh anything grinding your gears it's it's not it's not unrelated to soccer but the branding for the world cup 2026 is like hilariously (laughs) bad oh it's so bad it's It's, they they just put the number 26 in a stupid font and then put the world cup trophy in front of it it's it's so bad i mean really really like strong graphic design is my passion uh vibes coming out of that one uh i like i'm i'm just it's really funny to think of like all the people who like had to look at that and be like that's it 
And then they've got this just ridiculous hashtag of we are 26 along with it, which is just like, well, I'm I, I, like, I'm not 26. I'm older than that. You might be, yes. you, you might be, you know, closer to, to 26. But... I'm, I'm 27. So oh, I, I, you, I just missed you it. You just but, missed yeah. it. It's so close. Um, <laughs> but it's it, like that whole package. I mean, all the people at USSF who had to sign off on that, all the people at FIFA who had to sign off on it. I'm, you know, sometimes it's just delightful. <laughs> the logo for the logo for the U.S.'s bid for that World Cup was cooler looking than the logo that ended up being the logo for that for the actual, actual World, World, Cup. World Cup. There's so much you can do. It's it's continental, right? So right. you can do something cool with like the shape of the continent. And I I just look. There is a never-ending, like, well of source material from which to draw inspiration here, and they went with stupid font and trophy, <laughs> and that's it. Amazing. Just the, the level of uh, minimal effort there is, is something to, to really behold. Um, very funny to, to see FIFA do it is It like is that. very funny. Not, Delightful, even. Not, ser- not terribly surprising. No, to that organization, not, not surprising but, at all. This is this but, is, after all, uh, the organization that made visit Saudi Arabia a presenting sponsor for the Women's World Cup this year, which is whew, that's a good one too. So uh, a, a choice, yeah, yes. real so, choice. Um, that that'll do it for us this week on on Soccer Made in Portland. We will uh, have more logos maybe to make fun of next week. Uh, in, and maybe we'll, we'll continue this discussion on, on the 26th one. Maybe, maybe the online hate will lead to a, a revamp in the next week for, for FIFA's world cup branding, who knows, but, uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, soccer maiden PDX at Chris Reifer and at Ryan T Clark. Um, keep an eye out for a feature story on Oregon live.com either today or tomorrow on Megan Klingenberg, uh, who has been um, really a crucial presence in terms of leadership for the Thorns in, in these last several years since she joined the club. Um, loved her perspective, her, her, uh, her ability to, to put into words what leadership means is something that I think everybody, regardless of whether you're a sports fan, should, should take a look at. So We will have that. Uh, Subscribe to us wherever you get your pods. Leave us a rating if you so choose, and we will see you next week.